Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a message to proclaim. Lord, I pray that you speak into our hearts and our minds today about how we might do that and the urgency of doing it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it's good to be back after my uh, little week away. Can you tell? Am I glowing enough? Mm, Okay, maybe not. So the last two weeks, um, Simon has done a fantastic job, annoyingly so, to be honest. He is getting annoying, you know? He's just getting too good. Uh, He's done a fantastic job uh, thinking around missional communities. And uh, he's focused on a a phrase, uh, which is, uh, missional communities are communities of empowered disciple-makers... So have I got that right? Yeah? In mission. So, he's looked at communities, and he's looked at disciple-makers, and today I'm going to think about mission. The empowered bit, uh, fortunately for you, we've got a whole sermon series on that starting next week, uh, which is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. So, come back next week, and you'll get that bit as well. Um, So today I'm going to think about mission. I'm going to think about how as communities of empowered disciple-makers, we are called to a very specific mission and what that means for us in terms of missional communities. Uh, Let me ask a question first of all, though. Uh, It's a question um, I've asked before, but I'll start off with this one. How many of you were born in Southport? Okay, that's about half. uh, And the other half, you've all moved in. Um, But here's the question. Why are you here? (laughs) I made Andrew come to Southport, Uh, I came in my job, Uh, you may have come because your parents brought you here, you may have come because uh, you were born here, Uh, I won't go any further back than that, Uh, maybe you're here for all sorts of reasons, but what's the real reason you're here? There's the answer, thank you Dave, you can always count on the church warden to come up with the right answer. Because God has placed you here. See, when we get our heads around that, it actually changes our view of where we are. Because you could feel like you're here under duress. You're here because, well, you were born here, you're kind of stuck here, you're in a rut. And you just want to get out as quickly as possible. Maybe you've moved here. And, and I mean, for me, I think Southport is a great place to live. It's a really comfortable place to live. Yeah, you've got the beach, the sea occasionally. Uh, you've got the, uh, you know, nice places to walk, great parks, uh, great restaurants. You know, there's lots that is comfortable here. And our comfortableness actually stops us getting engaged with what God's doing. But when you think that, oh, maybe God has placed me here and he's placed me here for a reason... That starts to shape how we view where we are. Our place is important. The place where God puts you is important to think about. You are not here by accident. You are not here by choice. You are not here by some act of faith that brought you here. You are here because God, in his wisdom, has ordained it that you are here. And I want you to think deeply about that because that actually changes everything about how you would view Southport. You are here because God sent you here. 
Here's another question for you, just to keep you awake. Uh, where is God? Everywhere. There we go, thank you. There's a good answer. Everywhere. Even Southport. Whoa, okay. So, if God's placed us here, and God is already here, that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? I think that's a fascinating uh, little formula. You know, there's us here, placed here for a reason, plus God equals what? Well, that's a good question. See, God is here. The the you're going to get lots of theology, theological words today. Uh, some are in Greek and some are in Latin. Okay? But this one's English. Uh, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's everywhere. It says in Jeremiah, I love this verse, uh, Jeremiah 23, God says, Am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? God fills every nook and cranny of Southport. It might not feel that way, as you walk down Lord Street and see all the empty street, uh, shops. It might not feel that way as you walk around some part of town and there's stuff going on that you know is just wrong. But the truth is, God fills every part of Southport, even banks. <laughs> it's true. God's there. Yep. <laughs> even with the Millingtons. Oh no, they're not banks. Um, it is... A, when you start to think in those terms, you start to see Southport in a different, pl- different way. God placed us here and God fills this place. He is everywhere in this town. But what's he doing in this town? Here's another Latin word for you. Missio Dei. So back in the 4th century, perhaps even earlier... Theologians started to use this, and it means the mission of God. The mission of God. So you all think that you are on a mission. You're not. It's God who has the mission. God has a desire to see every single person come to know him. God has every, uh, is, is full of a, a desire to see his righteousness fill the whole land. God wants to see Equality and justice and peace and love fill this world. Why? Because that's part of what heaven's like. And he wants to see heaven come to earth. See, God's on a mission to transform what we have destroyed. Now, ultimately, that will be sorted out when Jesus comes back. But he is still in the process of doing it now. He hasn't, as some uh, old philosophers once said... Uh, you know, wound up a clock and just left it to tick away until it stops. God's not like that. God is involved in this world, in every aspect of life. Seeing his kingdom, his rule of justice, mercy and peace come to, be, uh, come to bear upon every aspect of life. That's what God is at work doing right now. In, uh, in John's Gospel, John says how the Holy Spirit has been sent amongst us to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit right now is at work 
in the heart of people in this town, trying to draw them back to God, convict them of sin, trying to convict them of their need to do things well and to do it right, and convicting them of that one day they will face God. The Holy Spirit right now is at work, and some of the people that you think are beyond hope. God right now is at work in people that have never, ever met a Christian. Right now, God is at work doing things that are miraculous, that we will never hear about. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, actually, that gets me a little bit excited, that God is out there doing stuff, all sorts of stuff. And we might not even see it. Maybe little glimpses of it every now and again. But God is out there doing all sorts of things. And he calls us to partner in his mission. See, the question isn't that, does my church have a mission? God wants to know that his mission has a church. Does his mission have a church who are engaged with him in seeking to Bring his kingdom to bear upon earth. Does he? I was hoping for a yes, but there you go. Thank you. Because that's the, that's the answer he's looking for. I think it's fascinating, isn't it? In our reading, Jesus says to the disciples, uh, ask, the, uh, ask the... the um, let me just read it to you. That would be better, wouldn't it? Eh? Uh, where are we? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So you can imagine the disciples think, right, yeah, we're going to pray. Okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to pray that God sends people, other people, to go and do the work of the harvest. And this was the, the quickest answer to prayer you've ever come across, because in the very next sentence, Jesus says to them, Go, you go. Not you sit down and pray for other people to go, but you go. Don't expect others to do it. Don't just sit back and pray for it, as important prayer as prayer is, but you go. You are the workers that you are just pray, you've just prayed for. See, we always want someone else to do it, don't we? We always want someone else to come and do the work that we know should be done. In churches, I mean, there's a, there's a big move to, you know, employing staff to do stuff. And it's great to have staff who, who take on certain aspects of church life. But we're kind of missing the point. We are all the workers in the harvest field. We are all full-time missionaries. We are all in full-time ministry. Every single one of us. And whether that is anything from doing kids' work to doing stuff on the streets of Southport, it's all God's work and we're all called to do it. Every single one of us. We can't simply leave it to others. It's no good us praying, Lord, what, am I going to, or what are you going to do about those people on the end of our streets who seem to be struggling with life? Don't pray that God sends someone else. You go. 
It's no good praying for people who we know in town who just don't know anything about Jesus and praying, Lord, send an evangelist to them. You go. Because we are all the answer to that prayer. We cannot expect other people to do a task that has been assigned to us. And God has assigned to us the people of Southport. This is our mission field. This is our assignment. See, we are all involved in the mission, God's mission to transform everything around us. Whether that is the heart and soul of individuals, whether that is the systems that we see around us, whether that's the, the, uh, the financial and economic structures around us, whether it's education or politics or the criminal system, whatever. We are all called to be involved in that as salt and light, bringing God's kingdom to bear in those areas. We are all called to do it. Now that may sound like, well, that's a big task. And I know that most of you, probably all of you, are sat there thinking, yeah, not me. Either I haven't got enough gifts, I haven't got enough time, I'm not able to. Uh, all, you, know, you can think of any number of reasons why you shouldn't do any of this. We all think of those reasons. And yet this is the command of God. We don't have a choice in this. God has commanded us to go. So how do we go? Well, the thing is, you don't go on your own. The exciting thing is, is that we go together. See, unfortunately, whenever we think about mission or evangelism, we always think individualistically. We think it's about me going out and talking to someone about Jesus. We always think that. But that's not the model in the New Testament. So in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 in pairs. In Luke 10, he sends out the 72 in pairs. Paul, on his missional journeys, as he travels all around the place, goes with a whole team of people. He never went on his own. The only person I can think of uh, who actually did mission on his own was Philip. I'm struggling to think of anyone else. Maybe some of those who've read the Bible a bit more than me might think of someone else. Everyone else was in groups. We are meant to do mission together. We are meant to be a people who are using all our gifts, our combined gifts, to reach the lost. Because the lost is not the work of one person. It's the work of all of us. And when Paul talks about it when he writes to Corinth, he says, you know, I planted the seed... And Apollos, he came along and watered it, but God brought the growth. I think that is a fascinating little example of what mission is. It's God's work, he's going to grow it, but you needed Paul to do a little bit of planting, you need Apollos to do a bit of watering. And in terms of mission, you all have a role to play. Some of you are going to be great at talking to people about Jesus and telling your story. Some of you might be great at answering those big questions of life. Why is there evil in the world? And all those kind of things. Some of you may be great at just serving and showing love to those who need it the most. But it takes all of that to reach a town. It doesn't just take one person doing one thing. 
Some years ago, a long time ago, uh, I was involved in uh, organising a mission in Magul. I think I've maybe told this story before. Um, and uh, we invited a great evangelist, a guy called Eric Delve. Some of you may have heard of him. Fantastic preacher, great evangelist. And uh, he came and he did a whole week of meetings in the evening. And at the end of it, we had a debrief and he, he got us sat down and he looked at us uh, with one of the sternest looks I've ever had from a Christian. And he said, this is by far the worst mission I've ever done in my life. Everyone. And the reason was we expected him to just come in and do all the work. We hadn't done any kind of invitations uh, sending out to people. We hadn't trained people to go and invite people in. We hadn't been out on the streets of Magul doing any kind of work. We hadn't got the churches involved in any kind of real way. We just expected him to come in and do it. See, you cannot do mission as an individual. It has to be all of us. Billy Graham does that. When he comes into a city, it's not just Billy Graham hiring Anfield or whatever. I mean, he has, he has churches all over a city involved. He brings in training to train individuals on how to witness and invite people to a, a meeting. There's a whole level of work that goes on that requires all sorts of gifts and abilities. And the church has everything it needs to do that. We have people who can talk about Jesus. We have people who can serve with love. We have people who are able to challenge structures in society. We have all of those kind of things. Together, we can do far more than we can as individuals. And that is the beauty of mission. That not is it, it's not our mission, it is God's mission. But we do it together and we use all our gifts in order to reach the lost. And you might be thinking, yeah, still not sure. Still don't think I'm prepared. You know, those disciples, they may have been with Jesus for less than six months, those 72. And Jesus sends them out without a purse, without food, as lambs amongst wolves. Wow, that's a great kind of motivating speech, isn't it? He sends them out with nothing. And very little preparation. See, we are always, always never ready. We're always in that place where we feel like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't feel like I've been trained enough. don't feel like I know enough. We are all like that. And that is the best place to be. Because if you go out thinking you're prepared and ready, you're going to do stuff in your strength. But this is God's mission, and we do it his way, and we do it in his power. Not our power. And if you go out involved in mission, feeling like you're not ready, what are you going to do? You're going to rely on God, aren't you? And isn't it fantastic to, when you read at the end of that story, the disciples come back saying, Lord, even the demons listen to us. And at that point, what does Jesus say? I saw Satan fall like lightning. As suddenly... These disciples realised if only they relied on God, anything could happen. Absolutely anything can happen. And it is a fantastic, if you feel unprepared for mission, that is the best place to be. Stay in that place. The moment you think, well, I can do this mission bit, you're on a hiding to nothing. 
because we have to rely on God. Jesus sent out those disciples relying totally on God to provide for them. And whether it is talking to people about Jesus and they ask you one of those big questions of life that you have no answer to, to, uh, answer, answer to, then just believe that God will give you the words to say. Or whether it is you come across someone who needs help in some way and you've just got no idea how to give it, just trust that God will give you the way to do it. God will give you enough love to help that person no matter what they need. We have to trust God in this. And God will come up trumps because it's his mission. And he doesn't want his mission to fail. It's not our mission, it's his. See, one of the things about being prepared, never being prepared is that we have to also rely on each other. We have to. We have to be able to say... I might not have the right gifts for this, but I know so-and-so does. My gifts can do this. And we have to be able to trust each other enough to rely on the fact that we'll all come through in the end, no matter what we do. See, when I think about how I became a Christian, it involved a number of different things at different points, a number of different people at different points, all doing their bit. None of them feeling prepared or ready. None of them feeling like they had it all sorted. But each of them just played a bit of a part. And if we all play our part, then maybe we'll start to see transformation in this town. If we all step out in faith, believing that God can work through us, anything can happen. But what do we do? If we're prepared to step out in faith, what do we do? Well, Jesus gives the next instruction. He says, find a person of peace. And it's almost like he's imagining uh, his disciples going through towns and talking to people at doors. And he says, when you find a person of peace, stay with them. Don't move on, stay with that person. Eat with them, drink with them. Create a friend. Just create a friend. And in the midst of that, heal the sick and preach the gospel. See, we're always looking for kind of uh, big things to happen, aren't we? We're, we're seduced by these stories of people who hear a preacher on the street and are radically transformed. They are few and far between. Most people come to faith because someone befriended them. Think about your own journey. How many people are involved in your journey of coming to faith? So a person of peace is someone who is either interested in the gospel or just interested in you as a person. And if they're interested in you, they're interested in the things that interest you. Jesus. And you use both of those things to, as a vehicle for sharing the gospel. So as you go through town, as you go through your life, you may come across people who just seem to warm to you and there's a little bit of a connection Jesus says, just stay with that person for a bit. Have a meal. Hang out with them for a bit. See what happens. See, ultimately, all of this is about relationship. We might want to declare the truth of God in all sorts of ways, 
but it's primarily about relationship. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was in Liverpool, I think I said this at the Grove service, uh, and we were walking through town, and there was a guy there with a megaphone, shouting at people about Jesus, shouting at them. I actually heard uh, someone else say that a member of their church was walking past, and this same guy shouted all sorts of abuse and called them all sorts of things. I was like, who's going to win anyone for Jesus that way? And on it, he had a sandwich board, and on, his pla- on the sandwich board it said, wake up Satan's cattle. How to win friends and influence people, isn't it? Eh? You're all Satan's cattle. Would Jesus have ever done that? Did Jesus ever say to his disciples, right, uh, once you go into twos, go into a town centre, shout at people as loud as you can, because that is the best way of winning people for Jesus. Go and make a friend. Our problem is that we all have friendship groups, though. We think we've got enough friends. But this is where we perhaps start to make some kind of sacrifices and compromises around that. Because if we're to be a kind of people who are going to reach out for Jesus, we have to be constantly open to making new friends for him. Creating kind of relationships that are open enough to talk about him. To talk about the real issues of life. So just look for a person of peace. And if you're not finding people of peace, just move on, Jesus said. He said, shake the dust off your feet. If someone's not interested in the gospel, you can leave that person with God. Because God's already at work in that person. This is just not the time for you to be involved in their life. Now that might be hard for some of you to hear because you have family members who don't know Jesus just yet. And it breaks your heart that they don't know Jesus. But you have to just leave them with God. I'm really fortunate in that both my parents came to faith after I became a Christian. And you might think that is because of my tremendous Christian witness. The first thing I said to my parents after I became a Christian is, you're going to hell. It didn't go well. My mum was furious. Uh, After that, I thought, I better not say anything else. Fortunately, uh, a wonderful Christian lady in in our church befriended them. And some years after we left, she got them to a place where they wanted to become Christians. At two separate times. And on both occasions, I was around and Dora invited me to lead my mum and then my dad to Jesus. had nothing to do with me. She was the one who befriended them. She just brought me in at the end to do the little bit of the magic bit. See, all we have to do is make friends with people. And it might be that you're not the right person for that friendship right now. Or for your family member right now. But trust that God is at work in them. And he will bring the right people along. Trust God with it. It is his mission. So where does that leave us with missional communities? One of the the ways in which Christians in the New Testament and beyond really reached out to their friends in kind of groups was through households. 
Because churches back then, they didn't have nice buildings to meet in. A lot of the time they were persecuted, so they would meet in households. And the Greek word that's used in the New Testament is oikos. That doesn't just mean like a house with a little family in. They were usually kind of larger houses, and they would have servants, and extended family, and guests who are walking, going through the town, and those kind of things. And those communities would be communities of faith, who together would reach out to their town, their neighbours, and their family. And when we were praying for our vision uh, some months ago now, someone had a picture of, of Southport with kind of bonfires all across the town. And to me, they represent red hot centres of mission all across the town. Communities of people, communities of empowered disciple makers on mission, who are passionate for Jesus who are passionate about each other, and who are passionate about the mission of God. See, if we get those three things together, you have a red-hot centre for mission. And we, I want to imagine communities of people all around this town coming out from this church who are trying to reach very specific groups of people. Because there are 95,000 people in this town who don't know Jesus. And your community of 15 or whatever people can't reach all 95,000. We're encouraging every mission community to focus in on who they want to reach. It might be people in a certain area, people who have certain needs or people who have a certain interest. It could be all sorts of things. But focus in on a specific group of people. Reach out, create friends with that group of people and see what God will do. Look out for the people of peace who are ready to respond to the message we have. See, each of our missional communities can in some way be an oikos, a household of faith, a family of faith on mission. And that's our hope and our desire for all that we're going to do in missional communities. We want you to have great times together. We want you to grow in your faith Oh my word, we want to reach the lost. Because if we're not doing that, we're missing out on the command of God. We're missing out on your friends, your family coming to know Jesus. I want you to experience what I experienced 30 years ago as I led my mum and my dad to Jesus. I want you to know what that feels like. I know that I will be with them in heaven. I know that one day... They're going to die, hopefully a lot earlier than me. Uh, I'll see them again. Because of what Dora did in befriending them. Because of what other people did in just feeding into their lives. Isn't that your hope for your friends, for your family? Should we stand? Let's just be quiet for a moment. Let's just be aware of God here right now.
What's God stirring in you? You know, we, we, we just long for you to join a missional community. But it might be that God wants you to start a missional community. We want to create as many as possible, drawing in as many as possible from church so that we can reach as many people as possible for Jesus. What's God stirring in you right now? It might be that you're just feeling really inadequate at the moment as we think about all that can happen, could happen. Just rejoice in that. Because you're the best person available. Because you're going to rely on God. We're going to, um, as usual, just have an opportunity where you can respond in some way or uh, receive prayer for something. There will be people who are by the windows here on my left, your right, who will pray for you. You know, as we think about all that could be in this town, we all need prayer, don't we? We all need God to move us and inspire us to reach the lost. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I go through parts of my life where, I'll be honest, I don't care about the lost. I don't care about them like Jesus cares about them. I don't care about them in the way that Jesus would want me to care about them. And there have been times I've had to repent of that. There have been times I've had to just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Put your fire for the lost in my heart. And maybe that's just something that you could be receiving prayer for today. That you've you've become so consumed with your own needs, your own issues, that actually you've forgotten about the needs of the lost. And whatever your needs and issues are, you'll always know that you're going to heaven. In the midst of your needs and issues, you've got Jesus at your side. You're already in a better place than 95% of this town. Just because you've got Jesus in your life. And you know what? They haven't. So maybe you just need God to stir a love for the lost in you again. Not a, not a love for mission, but a love for the lost. And maybe you just need prayer today for healing. Whatever it is you need healing for today, God's got the power to heal it. No matter how big, and certainly no matter how small.
It might be that you've got something, uh, I just feel like God's laying some things on my heart. Uh, right, right shoulder, muscular issue with the right shoulder. That's something that maybe God really wants to minister into. Maybe um, sight issues to do with diabetes. I think God wants to bring healing into that. So let's, uh, I'm going to pray. And let's respond to God in worship. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, you'd put a fire in our hearts for those who don't know you. Forgive us, Lord, when we just go through life concerned with our own things, our own stuff, the baggage that we carry, the issues that we face, the problems that we have, the things that every single person has to cope with. Lord, we thank you that we we have you in the midst of all of that. But Lord, there are so many people here in this town who'd have no one and they don't have you either. Lord, would you increase our love for the lost? Would you increase our passion for those who don't know you? Would you stir something in us, Lord God, that would compel us to share the good news? Whether we feel we're ready for it or not, whether we feel that we're prepared for it or not, Lord, let there be a compulsion within us that is born out of love to share the good news with those around us. And Lord, I thank you that we can do this together in communities. Lord, we want to pray for uh, red-hot centres of mission all around this town that come out of this place. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our church to you. We commit every community that we have and will have. And we offer you, Lord ourselves to serve you in your mission. In Jesus' name. Amen.